0: The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not of IICLE. Hello, and thank you for joining me on InRay, the podcast about all things law, big and small. I'm your host, Chris Noel. Today is all about that day lawyers have coming up every two years the reporting period. Now, sometimes it can strike fear into the heart of any person. However, it doesn't have to be. I was able to speak with the director of the MCLE board, who shed some light on not only the reporting period, but the reasoning behind some of the new PR requirements, as well as some do's and don'ts when it comes to reporting your CLE.
1: My name is Karen Litcher-Johnson. I'm the director of the MCLE Board of the Supreme Court of Illinois. Our office of uh, 10 people is located in downtown Chicago, just a block off LaSalle Street.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karen. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Glad to be here.
0: And so, my first question is how was the CLE Board established?
1: Well, the MCLE board was established by rule of the Supreme Court of Illinois, and it established the MCLE program and how it was to be operated and the rules that would govern uh, the attorneys who need to take the credits, exemptions, how you can earn credits, and the entire reporting process and an audit process that's also um, in the rules. Now, as far as um, looking at why... um, that change was made in the court rules to add the MCLE program. The best way I think to look at it, because people have asked, you know, why was the MCLE program started? The court really explained in its own uh, court rules why it was coming up with this new program. And it's protection of the public is the focus. There's a preamble to the court's rules um, that start at Rule 790 with the title and purpose of the MCLE board. And it says uh, in the preamble, the public contemplates that attorneys will maintain certain standards of professional competence throughout their careers in the practice of law. And these rules um, are intended to assure that those attorneys licensed to practice law in Illinois remain current regarding the requisite knowledge and skills necessary to fulfill their professional responsibilities and obligations and thereby improve the standards of the profession in general. So the focus is protecting the public and ensuring that um, when the public addresses um, their legal concerns with attorneys, that those attorneys have requirements to remain current in the law so that they can best serve those clients. Hmm.
0: So how does how does the CLE make better lawyers and help clients? How does that work?
1: Well, it's certainly the um, plan that lawyers who remain current in the law will be better skilled uh, at what they're doing to represent their clients, better advocates for their clients, help make the entire system of justice more efficient in uh, representing their clients, and know the ethical boundaries, but also the professional um, aspirations of the legal profession as, as part of that profession that's not like any other profession. We have ethical rules that establish what must be done, but then there are also professionalism considerations of how we can best serve our clients and best serve the system of justice through our professional actions. Hmm.
0: So recently, I believe within the past year or so, um, there are new professional responsibility requirements. So how do the new professional responsibility requirements compare to the previous ones?
1: Well, what happened when the change was made effective July 1 of 17, the court took elements of the professional responsibility requirements that already existed. So there were um, aspects of it. Uh, Ethics is part of professional responsibility. Professionalism, uh, mental health and substance abuse, and diversity and inclusion were issues already included in our definition of professional responsibility from the court. The court said that certain of those um, subcategories, namely mental health and substance abuse and diversity and inclusion, needed a special level of attention and to make those a requirement of the professional responsibility component of the MCLE requirements. What that means is for a two-year reporting period that all attorneys have other than those who are newly admitted or have an exemption, 30 hours still required, still have to have six hours of them be professional responsibility, but of those six hours of professional responsibility one at least must be mental health and substance abuse and another one must be diversity and inclusion. So that was the change that was made effective July 1 of 2017 it's important to note that the reporting period that ends June 30 of 18, that's not a requirement yet. It takes effect with the reporting period that ends June 30 of 2019. Hmm. People can earn those credits at any time. They count toward the 30. They count toward the 6. But um, when they are required, as in you'll re- be reporting that you're completing those specific requirements within professional responsibility, That must first be done with a reporting period that ends June 30 of 2019.
0: Okay. So it sounds like the PR, sounds like it's moving from uh, more of an external to more of an internal focus, or at least adding the internal focus for the lawyer.
1: Well, I think the the opportunity was always there for attorneys to turn uh, some of their attention in MCLE uh, credits to obtaining more information about mental health and substance abuse and diversity and inclusion but now it will be a requirement and part of the reason is that the court said um, when they announced this change that there were not that many courses out there on these topics of mental health and substance abuse and there was a study uh, back in 2016 that was announced uh, the and Betty Ford Foundation did a study on lawyers and uh, found that attorney uh, substance abuse and mental health were really more significant concerns than folks had previously thought. So that this study reported that 21% of licensed employed attorneys qualify as problem drinkers, 28% struggle with some level of depression, and 19% demonstrate symptoms of anxiety. And that the really crucial part of it was younger attorneys in the first 10 years of practice exhibit the highest incidence of these problems. And in the past studies, that represented a reversal of previous research that indicated rates of problem drinking increased as you spent more time in the profession. So that was especially glaring that these problems of mental health and substance abuse are getting to be much more prevalent in newer attorneys than otherwise thought. So that was one part of Um, The requirement that was added. The other was diversity and inclusion. And as the court noted in its um, press release from that time period, it was back in April of 17, when this uh, change in the professional responsibility rules was uh, first announced, that obviously numerous studies have demonstrated that our legal profession lags behind other fields with regard to diversity. And so with the courses um, that are coming out accredited for professional responsibility in those areas lagging there obviously was a need to educate attorneys on mental health and substance abuse and a need to educate all lawyers and other people in in the society in general but specifically here lawyers about diversity and inclusion the court said as a way to increase the available courses we're going to make this a requirement for attorneys to look um, at these issues Um, on a more specific basis. Now, from a personal standpoint, I think it's an access to justice issue that lawyers are now being uh, required to take a mental health and substance abuse credit every two years because if there are lawyers who are um, functioning at an impaired uh, state because of mental health or substance abuse, obviously that's affecting them, their families, um, their um, loved ones in general, Their friends, their community, and they—they won't be as available to their clients as a mentally healthy attorney or a not substance abusing attorney. So that um, as lawyers are not available to clients, either in terms of total hours, they're—they're not available at all, or they're uh, operating at a reduced capacity because of these impairments. Uh, it's an access to justice issue. There are fewer lawyers available to do the work, the, the important work that needs to be done for the public. So I like to think of it as a way to keep lawyers, you know, working and productive and satisfied in the work that they do so they can continue to uh, to do that work and, and do it well.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, I noticed you talking about there towards the end, um, your perception of the, and I, I would like to know, just as the MCLE board's um, director, how do you view the MCLE board in general when it comes to being behind CLE in Illinois?
1: Well, it's it's certainly that the board has been chosen, individual members have been chosen by the court to lead this effort. So the board directs what it is we do You know, here as a staff and as the MCLE program and those members are chosen from across the state so there's representation we also have a uh, one member who's not an attorney and that member um works in adult education and we've always um we very uh, short period of time we didn't have a non-lawyer member on our board from the beginning for virtually the entire time we've had a non-lawyer member who has worked in adult education and it's been very helpful to the board because they are interested in knowing what it is that is is best in lawyer education or in adult education in general. So they have learned about principles like that. Some of them come in with a, a good amount of knowledge in that area already. And then trying to, the macro is the courses themselves and making sure there are good quality courses available for attorneys to meet their needs in a broad range of options You know, in person courses, live technology courses, recorded courses. Uh, We did look at uh, courses uh, offered by providers, and there are tens of thousands of courses offered every year in locations all around the globe, and, um, you know, tens of thousands that are offered by recording or live technology. So um, the board has done, I think, an excellent job in bringing a, a perspective as the working attorneys and this one non-attorney who's an adult learning professional, to what it is that lawyers are looking for, how we should run a program that helps meet the needs of the attorneys while we're also the regulators. And I've, I've been fortunate to work with several different board chairs now. We've had three in the 12 and a half years that I've been here, and um, all of them extraordinarily committed, as all the board members are, to doing the best that we can to make the program what it is that the court has set out out to do, which is help protect the public through better lawyer education and better lawyer preparation for the job that they're doing. Mm.
0: What's the process um, for your organization to essentially vet um, a program and make sure that, yes, this does meet the standards and this Mm. is the quality we want?
1: Well, course providers, there are two um, options. One is they can submit individual course applications, or if a provider has established already that they have a track record of offering um, quality courses for attorneys, they can apply for and then obtain, if we review it and approve it, accredited provider status. So for the individual course applications, we review those just like it sounds, uh, as they come in. There are about 2,000 course providers and about 250, I think it's 300 of those are accredited providers and the rest are individual course providers. So we do every day, some members of our staff are all spending time every day reviewing individual course applications. We ask for basic information, who the provider is, that's all preset. Um, when they go in they have an account So we ask for individual course information, how long is the course, um, the title of the course. They can give us a brief description. Uh, Most important thing is they attach written materials and we do take a look at those written materials to put our best effort into identifying that this is quality content, that it's up to date. You know, if we see references to 2000, you know, we may ask, well, that was a while in the past. Has anything changed since then? and there are providers who are doing, you know, current updates, you know, for this year. Other times there is content that is still relevant from something happening in 2000. So it's not an absolute that the date is the cutoff. But we do look at those things. We look at um, because the rules say that uh, written materials need to be distributed at the course. So we do ask for those in the approval process, and also the experience of the speakers experienced speakers need to be included, so you need to be either by education or by experience or both to teach the course. So as we look at the biographies of the individual attorneys, we look to see, does this person have experience in this field of uh, study? We do accredit courses that have non-lawyer speakers, but the criteria remains the same. If it's a course on accident reconstruction and the person has 15 years experience in working in accident reconstruction, even if they're not a lawyer, we can approve that course. So some other states, as I understand it, have a requirement that there be at least one lawyer on every speaking panel or speakers for a particular course. That's not required, but the speaker does need to be qualified by experience or education or both to teach. So it is you know, a process. It is not just a click, 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 approve. We definitely take the time to look at these courses. Now, what's important is the presentation is actually within the hands of the people who are on site. So we also have gone out and audited courses in person on occasion. Uh, we do have that authority under the rules to go to a course um, and observe what's going on. And the delivery methods are also important as we do work with providers, especially those who want to, to use delivery methods other than just a straight lecture format. We would encourage providers and have worked with some to look at things like uh, breakout groups where you're talking by, by table and you have to report back on what it is that you've discussed and ideas for um, uh, the group at large, so that you're contributing as a smaller group, so each person gets an opportunity to weigh in. It's just a different approach than just a, a talking head. Another approach is to have attorneys um, submit questions um, in advance and then assign those to tables um, for discussion. You know, during uh, the course after the speakers maybe present. So there are providers out there who are trying different approaches to, than just uh, lecture format to integrating other options for more uh, active involvement at the course by the attorney participants, perhaps with a lecture or sometimes without.
0: Wow. So, we now know uh, a little bit about CLE and then we learn more about, you know, your organization. So let's talk about some mm-hmm. things to do with, you know, dun-dun-dun, the reporting period, right? everybody's <laughs> We've been getting calls here right. at IICLE uh, for the right. past couple of weeks. Where's my certificate? Can I get another one? Can you resend it to me? So let's talk sure. about some reporting uh, period do's and don'ts.
1: Well, as far as do's, I'll cover those first. Mm-hmm. Uh, please do finish credits by June 30 or be entitled to an exemption. And there are more exemptions out there than lawyers are usually aware of, even more than 12 years now into the board starting its operations here at the MCLE program. We talk to lawyers almost every day who say, wait, there's an exemption for me being out of state and um, having my only or primary office out of state and complying with the state's requirements here and completing credits and being in compliance with that state's requirements. That's an exemption. So, Um, Finishing credits by June 30 or being entitled to one of these exemptions, inactive or retired status, and that's something that folks, if they're not practicing, can contact the ARDC. Um, Sometimes people will say, well, of course I'm retired. I've, I've moved to New Mexico and I'm not practicing anymore. Well, we don't know that, and actually the court rules state that you are entitled to a full exemption if you are inactive or retired on the last day of the reporting period or 365 days of it but it has to be with the ARDC, the Attorney Registration Disciplinary Commission. Just ending practice and moving to a warm-weather state doesn't indicate to us that you're not practicing anymore. So in the rule it says to claim that exemption for inactive or retired. We actually do that for you because we know whether you have those 365 days or you're on that status on the last day. Um, Another one that I mentioned was the out-of-state practice and MCLE compliance exemption. So say you're an attorney who lives in Iowa um, or in Missouri and you have a license in that state and your only or primary office is in that state, you're in compliance with that state's requirements by earning credits. So it's not a way to bootstrap an exemption from another state into an exemption here. If you're truly um, earning the credits and you're in compliance with that other state's MCLA requirements for 365 days of the reporting period, or on the last day, that should sound familiar, because that's the status for a full exemption, you're entitled to report an out-of-state um, practice and MCLE compliance exemption. And all reports are submitted online. So um, that's where you would submit it. If you do it on time, that's another due um, Report no later than July 31st to avoid a late fee. If you apply, uh, report either compliance or that out-of-state exemption, or a military exemption. If we know you're in the military, we will report it for you. But if somebody happens to be in the military and not um, get in touch with the ARDC, they can still contact us and uh, the ARDC, and we'll get them up to date and uh, take care of that for them. But um, the out-of-state exemption you need to report no later than July 31st or compliance no later than July 31st. So um, under the list of don'ts, don't panic if you don't complete the credits on time. There is a way that you can get till the end of September, September 30th, to complete your credits and report by September 30th for a $100 late fee. And while that's not insignificant, it's a lot less than the late fee that's charged if we don't hear from you at all. So if you don't complete your credits by June 30th, please report not complied no later than July 31st. What that does is it fixes your late fee at $100 rather than the $250 that we have to impose by court rule if we don't hear from you by July 31st. So take that opportunity in July, count up your credits, you say, oh my gosh, I'm one hour short, don't panic, report not complied, and you can get till the end of September for $100 if we don't hear from you the late fee that we have to charge is $250. So it's a way to save yourself $150 if you didn't complete by the June 30th compliance deadline. Another don't is don't panic if you report more than once. We've had attorneys call us and say, oh, my gosh, I clicked to complied. I thought I was right. I'm two hours short, um, and it's the middle of June. We tell them, you've got time to finish. Don't worry. Once you're done, just go ahead and, and report complied again. We will take your most recent report as your report for that reporting period. We've had people log in, report, realize they were wrong, they log in again, report what they thought was right, they log in, oops, they checked the wrong box, they reported an out of state exemption, they're not truly out of state, they go back. We've had four or five reports for a single reporting period, but we will just look to whatever is the most recent report from you. And also, um don't throw away MCLE certificates. Um because you need to keep those for three years after the reporting period ends. The rules do allow the MCLE board to conduct audits. So we can ask you for those certificates of attendance, teaching certificates, articles that you've written and relied on for credit, along with the contemporaneous time records for the um, research and writing that you did. Uh, so don't throw your records away. you can after three years. You can certainly keep them longer if you wish, and all records can be kept electronically. You can print those out you know for us from the electronic format, but you do not have to keep paper records if you don't wish to
0: great so so
1: those are my do's and don'ts
0: <laughs> so those are for you know current reporting um individuals. What about someone who, you know, graduated recently um, passed mm-hmm. the bar and are new lawyers? What happens when it comes to CLE in their first couple years?
1: Right. The first year, um, they're covered by the newly admitted re- uh, attorney requirements. And those newly admitted ret- attorney requirements uh, require that you do 15 hours of credit in your first reporting period is um, from the day you're admitted one year later to the end of that month so say you're sworn in on may 7th of the one year your reporting period ends may 31st of the next year so if you know the month you were sworn in and the year just take the last day of that month one year later is the end of your reporting period so for those newly admitted attorneys they are broken into two groups One is uh, attorneys who've been practicing already in another state and have added Illinois as another licensure. Those folks can do 15 hours of credit in any area they wish. So their 15 required hours can be in anything that's accredited for Illinois credit. So that means courses, that means um, writing and researching legal scholarly publications, uh, teaching a CLE course themselves, those credits can all count toward the 15. The larger group of newly admitted attorneys are those folks who this is their first licensure. They haven't practiced anywhere else for the minimum amount of time required by the rules. They may have another license that they've only had for a month or two or six months. Those folks need to do the newly admitted attorney requirements that are also 15 hours. But within those 15 hours, there's a requirement that you do either a thing called a basic skills course, which is uh, at least a six-hour course that's approved as basic skills, or a mentoring course that's um, approved by the Illinois Commission on Professionalism, which is another entity of the court. Or you can do both, which obviously then would total 12 hours because each of those is six hours. So if you do both of them, you have 12 hours, and you need to get another three um, in any area that you choose. Um, If you do just one of them, you have six hours, and you can take the nine hours in any other area that you wish. So if you're a project finance attorney, you can take all nine of those hours in accredited project finance uh, courses, or um, if you're already uh, helping teach a course, or if you've published an article for attorneys in your particular area, you can count those credits toward the nine as long as they're approved for Illinois um, use as MCLE credits. So that's newly admitted uh, requirements. Then you get to report uh, th- online, and it's due 31 days after your reporting period ends. So someone whose reporting period ends May 31st needs to report then by July 1st. That's 31 days. Mm.
0: Are there any tips or tricks for uh, newly admitted attorneys uh, that you'd like to impart?
1: Well, I would say for newly admitted You can certainly take the basic skills course in person. You can also look on our website um, for any accredited courses that are recorded. So as you may know, large groups of attorneys are sworn in in November from the July bar and then in May from the February bar. But there are attorneys who are sworn into practice here in Illinois in every single month. I didn't know that before he started working here, um, that there were quite so many. You know, there can be a couple dozen in uh, in other months. Sometimes it's more than that, sometimes a little less, but um, there are people sworn in all the time. So there's no requirement that you take it in person. There are recorded options available. If you're going to do a mentoring program, that's another tip is you just need to start it during your reporting period. You may get your feet on the ground first couple of months and then say, wait, I'd like to do this mentoring program and earn credits from that. But um, maybe think, well, it takes a year to finish it, and I need to do my newly admitted reporting before that year is even up. And um, that's fine as long as you complete the course of study through the mentoring program, you're assigned a mentor and you work with them to complete it. If for some reason you can't, and it's happened a few times that we've known about, you contact the Commission on Professionalism and let them know, and they make arrangements so that you can either um, take something else or finish off the mentoring with another mentor. So there are ways to address it. It's, again, not a reason for a panic, But the sooner you contact the commission on the mentoring course, if you didn't finish it before your reporting period ended and something happens that now you can't complete, uh, we'll work with you and the commission will work with you to get that uh, taken care of. Um, Other things, I would say go ahead and use those nine hours um, or three hours of a la carte, whichever one it is that you're choosing. If you do both the basic skills course and the mentoring, you've only got three hours. But if you've got the three hours or the nine hours, either way, focus on courses that you think will definitely help you in your practice. Um, And this goes even for attorneys who are more experienced and have the two-year reporting periods. It's the best thing to do at the start of your reporting period to have a plan and to say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I know what my goals are, and my goals include the following professional goals and maybe even personal goals. There are people who want to learn about topics because they want to do volunteer work in that area. Maybe they want to uh, volunteer at an animal shelter uh, and maybe they think about being on the board there someday and they'd like to learn more about animal law or they're very interested in an area of practice that they're not in currently, but would it be a fit for them to look into going into that? You could take a course in the area and see if it is something that for the future would be a good career move for you and broadens your horizons on the really broad range of legal uh, areas, topics, concerns, questions that are out there. Every time I attend a course that's not necessarily in an area that I've practiced in, I learn that, wow, you know, I never would have known the level of complexity that's involved in this kind of work. Or I had no idea that You know they're serving this particular population in this area or that you can. So I think that using the opportunity to take those credits as a newly admitted attorney or as an attorney who's more experienced, have your MCLE requirements help drive reaching your goals. We do see a lot of attorneys who contact us late in the reporting period. We do everything we can to help them um, get their hours done, but it's much more of a you know, panic situation of let's just get some hours done. And I understand that's sometimes where life leads you. But if you have the opportunity in July of your reporting period, just as it's starting, or for a newly admitted person, within that first month or so, you know, at your firm, at your employer, wherever you're working, to sit down with somebody knowledgeable and for a more experienced attorney to reflect, where do I want to be at the end of this reporting period? Where do I want to be as an attorney, Are there things I want to do? Do I want to speak at a bar association meeting? Do I want to um, write an article that's published? Do I want to do more things with my law school so I could judge a moot court competition? What are the things that you want to get done And look at whether the MCLE requirements can help be sort of the gas in the engine to help get it done, to say, yeah, I've been talking about judging moot court and getting back in touch with my law school classmates. I'm going to do that this year or I'm going to do that next year rather than put it off. So that's one of the things I would encourage lawyers to do is be a bit more proactive. And I think that if you take the 20 or 30 minutes at the beginning of your reporting period and have a set of goals that... The MCLE requirements can help you meet. You're more likely to be more towards your goal at the end of those two years than you would have been if you hadn't sat down for that 20 minutes. And it's going to be a lot easier to select courses as they come in in emails. You get advertisements. You say, "Wait, that's something I know I wanted to do." Or if you have a subscription to a particular service, or you're a member of a bar association, as you th- see things come up, if you've got that list of goals and how MCLE can help you reach them, and easy access on your computer or in a notepad on your desk, you can say, wait, this is a course or this is an opportunity for me to um, teach something where I can uh, help meet one of my goals. On some other tips or little-known things that I've learned, sometimes I put them under that category, um, I know a lot of attorneys are very fearful of dealing with ARDC. They get the registration papers once a year and people say, wow, that's you know, that's the only time I want to hear from the ARDC or deal with them. They actually are extraordinarily helpful and work with attorneys on a very proactive basis, um, especially, you know, now they have a program online uh, that's much more proactive uh, management of firms and they actually have online courses that are free and earn CLE credit. So I would say that um the ARDC is very approachable in fact so approachable they have a thing called the ethics inquiry program it's to assist attorneys and members of the general public when they have general questions about a lawyer's professional responsibilities or attorney disciplinary case law so it provides research assistance and guidance on ethics issues and the Illinois rules of professional conduct and they state that their goal is to help lawyers understand their professional obligations and assist them in resolving important issues in their practice And it gives them information about professional responsibility, law, legal precedent, bar association, ethics opinions, law review articles, and practical guidance. So it can also help the public in understanding the obligations that lawyers owe to the courts, their clients, and to the profession. And it's a free-of-charge service, and you can call 312-565-2600 and ask for the Ethics Inquiry Program, or you can use it toll-free at 800 826-8625. And again, ask for the ethics inquiry program. Things like, how long should I retain client files? If I know that another attorney is engaged in professional misconduct, must I report that? And that's a good thing to mention, too, that calling the ethics inquiry line is confidential. They don't maintain any uh, record of the identity of the caller or the substance of the inquiry. They keep some statistical records, number of calls, general nature, and type of the request can be kept. But it doesn't satisfy a duty to report professional misconduct because obviously it's supposed to be a um, confidential service. You use hypotheticals, not any actual names. But I think it's something that a lot of lawyers don't know about, and if they did, it would be a great resource for them. Another resource that I learned about uh, while I was working um, here at the MCLE board is the uh, Supreme Court has an actual listserv of many different uh, topics that lawyers would be interested in. For example, the Illinois Supreme Court opinions. You can subscribe to a listserv on their website, Um, also appellate court opinions, Supreme Court press releases, orders and announcements, when opinions are anticipated to be issued, um, leaves to appeal, how they were resolved. Uh, the court's docket, uh, calendars for the various appellate courts. There are at least, I think, a, a dozen and a half choices. And I can let you know how to get to that page. It's at illinoicourts.gov. And there's up at the top, there are eight tabs. And the information tab is one of them, kind of more in the middle on the right hand side of the middle. Um, select the drop down from the information tab, and you'll see list services that On that page, you can subscribe or unsubscribe. So if an attorney has an interest for a period of time in Supreme Court opinions, you can subscribe, and then when that opinion is issued, perhaps you no longer have an interest and you'd unsubscribe. One thing that's been very helpful to me, and I think to other attorneys, is you can subscribe to the Supreme Court rules as well. So when there's a change in the rules, including in MCLE rules, you'll get uh, an email about that if you're on the listserv. So that, I think, is a resource that attorneys would benefit from uh, that many of them don't know about uh, when I'm talking with them on the phone.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about IICLE, its products, courses, or publications, please visit iicle.com.